All right, West Valley students. Thanks for coming in today. Uh, we've got a pretty good, we've got a great assembly for you lined up for you, actually. But I want to tell you a little bit about it first. Today, January 16th, is Temperance and Good Citizenship Day in the state of Washington. School districts around the state are participating, are participating in activities to recognize this day by discussing temperance in connection with good citizenship, specifically addressing the concept of self-restraint. The idea of self-restraint is closely tied with many of the activities associated with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Throughout his life, Dr. King advanced our nation towards equal civil rights for everyone, not by waging war, rioting in the streets, fighting those who are in opposition to the cause of equal rights, but by the means of peaceful, non-violent protest. Today, students from West Valley Junior High, these sitting back here to the bleachers to my right, will be presenting just a few of the highlights from Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, specifically some of the speeches that he gave. This is a serious assembly. Without the sacrifices endured during the life of Martin Luther King Jr., many of the comforts that we enjoy every day just wouldn't exist. Please do your best to sit quietly and listen as the students present. This will allow the speakers to speak effectively and others around you to learn about, arguably, one of the greatest citizens ever in our country. I'm going to pass this mic over to Macy, and she's going to kick off the show, so please enjoy it. Thank you. Martin, Lu <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. was a prominent leader in the African-American Civil Rights Movement. He is best known for his role in the advancement of civil rights using demonstrations of nonviolent civil disobedience. His efforts led to the 1963 March on Washington, where he delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial to some 250,000 people who participated in the march. He was assassinated on April 4, 1968, at the young age of 39, one day after giving his I Have Been on a Mountaintop speech, which mentioned that he was afraid of dying. In 1986, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was established as a national holiday, which was to be observed on the third Monday of January. Next Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This assembly highlights some of his most famous speeches, a student will come forward and give a brief description of the speech, and then portions of that speech will be shown. Sit back and enjoy as we listen and learn from a very important person in the history of our great country. The bus boycott is over, November 13, 1956. This speech is about ending the boycott by blacks of riding the local city buses in Montgomery, Alabama. Rosa Parks, a black woman, had been arrested for, for refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a city bus. Due to that incident, blacks refused to ride the buses for 11 months. Prior to that, the whites and blacks were separated by race on the buses. The Negro citizens of Montgomery, Alabama, are to return to the buses on a non-segregated basis. Proudly spoke Martin Luther King Jr. in his speech announcing the end to the bus boycott and an end to segregation on city buses. 
This morning, the long-awaited mandate from the United States Supreme Court concerning bus segregation came to Montgomery. This mandate expresses in terms that are crystal clear that segregation in public transportation is both legally and sociologically invalid. In the light of this mandate and the unanimous vote rendered by the Montgomery Improvement Association about a month ago, the year-old protest against city buses is officially called off and the Negro citizens of Montgomery are urged to return to the buses tomorrow morning. The decision rendered by the Supreme Court yesterday was a victory. Yeah. But it wasn't a victory for colored folks. Don't, don't make that victory that small. It wasn't a victory for 50,000 Negroes of Montgomery. It wasn't a, merely a victory for 16 million Negroes of America. Now, what will be our mode of action in the light of this decision? After thinking through this question very seriously, the executive board of the Montgomery Improvement Association recommends that the 11-month-old protest against the city buses will be called off and that the Negro citizens of Montgomery, Alabama will return to the buses on a non-segregated basis. Accepting the Nobel Peace Prize, December 11, 1964. This is Martin Luther King Jr.'s acceptance speech while being honored with the Nobel Peace Prize. This speech is about how we are all important and that we are all a unique piece of the puzzle. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. The rich man can never be what he ought to be until the poor man is what he ought to be. John Donne caught it years ago and placed it in graphic terms. No man is an island in time itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And then he goes on toward the end to say, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Civil Rights March leads to Bloody Sunday, March 7, 1965. Bloody Sunday, as is to refer to now, was a peaceful march of King's followers who had attempted to march from Selma, Alabama, to the capital city of Birmingham. The march turned into chaos as mobs and police violence against the demonstrators made the peaceful marchers turn back. Video footage of police brutality against the protesters was broadcast extensively and aroused national public outrage and gave King more support nationwide. This speech urges all blacks to continue on the path they are on, that they have come too far in the civil rights movement to turn back now. It's time for us to say to these white men in positions of power that if you don't do something about it, we'll have no alternative but to engage in broader and more drastic form of civil disobedience in order to bring to the attention of the whole nation this issue in some Alabama, proclaimed to Martin Luther King Jr.
We have no alternative but to keep moving with determination. We've gone too far now to turn back. And in a real sense, we are moving and we cannot afford to stop because Alabama and because our nation has a date with destiny. I'm here to tell you tonight that the businessmen, the mayor of this city, the police commissioner of this city, and everybody in the white power structure of this city must take a responsibility for everything that Jim Clark does in this community. It's time for us to say to these men that if you don't do something about it, we will have no alternative but to engage in broader and more drastic forms of civil disobedience in order to bring the attention of the nation to this whole issue in Selma, Alabama. He was murdered. Voting Rights Act, August 6, 1965. This famous speech announced the signing of the Voting Rights Act, which allowed blacks to vote. This was a huge step closer for blacks to have all the equal rights as white people. Uh, Dr. Abernathy, Reverend Fontro, and I have uh, just had a very fruitful uh, and meaningful hour with President Johnson to discuss some of the vital uh, and important issues of our nation in the area of civil rights. I might say that in the very beginning, I congratulated the president for the passage of the new voting bill, knowing that he had worked so passionately and unrelentingly uh, for this bill and made it very clear to him uh, that this would uh, be a great step forward in removing all of the remaining obstacles to the right to vote. But the time is right for an easing of demonstrations, perhaps a moratorium on racial strife. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well, I think that in some areas there will be an easing of demonstrations where there is a real compliance with the 1964 bill and with the a new voting bill. That is, if it is vigorously implemented, I think, in those areas, we may see a decrease in demonstrations. On the other hand, uh, the problems of the North are growing every day, and I think in those communities there will be an increase of demonstrations in order to call attention to the problems in housing, uh, jobs, and in the schools. And I think this will be the only way that the Negro community and uh, the allies in the white community will be able to bring these issues out in the open so that the communities involved will not be able to ignore the problem. This is a very informational speech given in response to the violence that has occurred during peaceful marches. It was also in response to the fears Martin Luther King Jr. felt each and every time they held a peaceful march. He even talked about how scared he was when he was going to close his eyes to say a prayer while another man with him said he was so scared he prayed with his eyes kept open. 
and the policemen were going ahead, and they were finding people in these trees. They were holding up, coming out of the trees, because they were in these trees to shoot or anything. I just gave up. I wouldn't say I was so afraid as that I had yielded to the real possibility of the inevitability of death. I mean, I had concluded, I concluded, that day in Philadelphia, when I was speaking, and Rainey was behind me, you remember? And all the others, and I started saying the murderers are probably around, and, and some man behind me said, you damn well, they're right behind you right now. Rainy said, he said, yeah, I'm right behind you. He said, yeah. And brother, and I was here speaking, they all standing behind me. And I just knew, then, let me see, was it, did I pray or did Ralph pray? Yeah, Ralph prayed that day. And uh, we had to close our eyes. And I just knew then that they were, that they were just going to lie. But brother, I never did. You know that. Ralph says he prayed with his open. <laughs> but I closed my eyes. I really Addressing a civil rights meeting, 1966. In this speech, Martin Luther King Jr. declares that even though things may not be going as planned, he refuses to condone violence in his marches for equality. He forcefully says that he's tired of all forms of violence, including the war in Vietnam. I'm not gonna allow anybody to pull me so low as to use the very method that has perpetuated evil throughout our civilization. I'm sick and tired of violence. I'm tired of the war in Vietnam. I'm tired of war and conflict in the world. I'm tired of shooting. I'm tired of hate. I'm tired of selfishness. I'm tired of evil. I'm not gonna use violence, no matter who says it. Speaking out against the war in Vietnam, April 16, 1967. I oppose the war in Vietnam because I love America is the way Martin Luther King Jr. started this speech in April of 1967. I speak out against the war not in anger, but with anxiety and sorrow in my heart, and above all, a passion and desire to see our beloved country stand as the moral example of the world. He also said that he is deeply disappointed with our involvement in Vietnam. I oppose the war in Vietnam because I love America. I speak out against it not in anger but with anxiety and sorrow in my heart and above all with a passionate desire to see our beloved country stand as the moral example of the world. I speak out against this war because I am disappointed with America. There can be no great disappointment where there is no great love. Preparing for the Poor People's March, January 16, 1968. 
This speech is about how both whites and blacks have similar, similar problems with some of their people being poor. He also talks about the fact that most treat poor people with a lack of respect because of their social status. We assemble here together today with common problems, uh, bringing together ethnic groups that maybe have not been together in this type of meeting in the past. I know I haven't been uh, in a meeting like this, and it's been one of my dreams that we would come together and realize our common problems. Power for poor people will really mean having the ability, the togetherness, the assertiveness, and the aggressiveness to make the power structure of this nation say yes when they may be desirous of saying no. Address at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., March 31st, 1968. This speech is given at a gathering at the National Cathedral. He speaks about regardless of the many differences that we were all born with, it is not enough to make history. And it seems that I can hear the God of history saying, that was not enough. But I was hungry, and you fed me not. I was naked and ye clothed me not. I was devoid of a decent sanitary house to live in, and ye provided no shelter for me. And consequently, you cannot enter the kingdom of greatness. If ye do it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye do it unto me. I've been to the mountaintop, April 3rd, 1968. In what was Martin Luther King Jr.'s last speech, he talks about how he was stabbed in the heart and the doctor said that if he had sneezed, he would have died. He also talks about the past five years of living in Selma, Alabama and the struggles the blacks had gone through to see the civil rights bill signed. He also mentions his famous I Have a Dream speech, which was approximately five years earlier. Towards the end of his speech, he says, I don't know what will happen now, implying that he didn't know what the future would hold. He says that there were difficult days ahead, but that it didn't really matter to him since he had been to the mountaintop. He speaks of his desire to live a long life, but that he didn't worry about death. In hindsight, the last portion of the speech, he seems to know that he would die at a young age, but that did not cause him to worry. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. And I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. You know, several years ago, I was in New York City autographing the first book that I had written. And while sitting there autographing books, a black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, you, Martin Luther King, and I was looking down writing, and I said, yes. The next minute, I felt something beating on my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed by this demented woman. I was rushed to Harlem Hospital. It was a dark Saturday afternoon. 
That blade had gone through and the x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood. That's the end of you. It came out in the New York Times the next morning that if I had merely sneezed, I would have died. Well, about four days later, they allowed me, after the operation, after my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out, to move around in the wheelchair in the hospital. They allowed me to read some of the mail that came in, and from all over the states and the world, kind letters came in. I read a few, but one of them I will never forget. I had received one from the president and the vice president. I've forgotten what those telegrams said. I'd received a visit and a letter from the governor of New York, but I've forgotten what that letter said. But there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl who was a student at the White Plains High School. And I looked at that letter, and I'll never forget it. It said simply, Dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream and taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962 when Negroes in Albany, Georgia decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had if I had sneezed. 
I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama to see the great movement there if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. And they were telling me. Now it doesn't matter now. It really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning, and as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay. But we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked, and to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats that were out. Uh, what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed the very next day while standing on the balcony of his hotel bedroom in Memphis, Tennessee. Please remember that Monday is not just a non-school day, but rather a day to celebrate the life of one very courageous man who had a dream that one day all races could live peacefully together. Thank you. It takes a lot of courage for these kids to come up here and do that, to speak in front of their peers, in front of their classmates, kind of sell themselves out up here. So let's put our hands together one more time for them. They did a great job. All right. Thank you. Thank you. As you head back to class today, 
I want you to take what was spoken by the students and by Dr. Martin Luther King with you. Take the words with you that he spoke, the things. Try to take something away from this assembly with you. My goal for you is that what you heard today leaves this room. Hey, the things from what Martin Luther King said, the things that the students emphasized, I want those things to leave this room. What that, what that means is I want you to take those, take them to heart, some of the words that were said, and take them with you and make your life better, make someone else's life better, make our school better. I want you to take what Dr. Martin Luther King lived and died for and use it for the good. 